0: Uh, I was very gracious to you last week. I mean, let's be honest about that. I fed you a great sandwich, and then I followed that up with some incredible apple pie. Uh, this week, I'm not going to be so kind. This week, I'm actually going to send you home, I hope, hungry. Hungry is how you should leave here this morning, or at least eagerly desiring. Maybe that's a better way of putting it, that you'll leave here eagerly Desiring. Now, if you weren't with us last weekend, you won't have a clue what I'm talking about. You're thinking, oh, I missed out on a feast. I should have uh, come along to church in person after all. But I would encourage you to watch back or to listen back uh, to last weekend's teaching, because that teaching is foundational for everything I'm going to say today, but for everything that's going to come in the few weeks that are ahead of us as well as we explore this theme. Last Sunday, I said that whenever someone starts talking about the Holy Spirit, it evokes one of three responses. The response is either, yay, or what, or ugh. And I wonder what your response was last weekend. Thank you, Ruth. (laughs) You can always rely on Ruth. Do you know, Ruth, let's let's affirm a spiritual gift whilst it's there. You've got the gift of encouragement uh, and the gift of faith, uh, which is incredible. Yeah. And last weekend, we took away two challenges. We took away the challenge to be informed and therefore to exercise the gifts rightly. But we also took away another challenge, which was the most important challenge of all, which was the challenge to be loving in the way we encounter spiritual gifts. In summary, we said, do it rightly, do it lovingly, or do it not at all. And last weekend, I assured us, look, our exploring or even our exercising the spiritual gifts here at CBC is going to be a safe space. And there's a reason for that, and the reason is that Scripture says everything should be done in a fitting and an orderly way. That gives me great comfort as we explore this theme. Here at CBC, we're going to do things lovingly, we're going to do things peacefully, we're going to do things gracefully as we pursue what I described as being the middle ground uh, together the middle ground is the ground where we thinkingly avoid some of the crazy stuff that's definitely out there on this theme, but at the same time, we're going to live our lives in such a way where we don't, don't try and contain God within our neat, tidy, manageable, comfortable boxes of human conventions. You know, I feel comfortable in that place where God is boxed up, where God becomes predictable, and yet I'm not sure that's the God that I've come to know and love. He's not always neat and tidy. A spiritual gift is a a spiritual ability that's given by God to all of God's people without exception to make a difference, first in the church and then to overflow into the world with those gifts. I said last weekend that spiritual gifts enable God's church to make a difference in a way which is utterly disproportionate to who we are. And the spiritual gift we're exploring this morning is prophecy. Well, Paul says, look, here's a gift out of all of the gifts that the church should hunger for. He says, you should eagerly desire this gift. Now, given all that we heard last weekend, perhaps it's no surprise that once again, Paul says, anchor this gift in love. If it's not anchored in love, then it's going to wave around and it's going to float off and it's going to do all sorts of dangerous things. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, Paul says, follow the way of love and... It's an and, not a then or an either or. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Paul told us, as we heard last weekend in 1 Corinthians 13, that you can be the most charismatic with a capital C person, with the most charismatic ministry in the world, but if you don't love, then you and your ministry are worth nothing. Ooh, harsh but fair, I think. You can be really charismatic, but if you do not love, then you and your gifting are worth nothing. Scripture says, follow the way of love and, and hunger for the gifts, especially prophecy. Well, why do I emphasize the word and? Because most people in their journey of faith like to pit the fruit of the Spirit up against the gifts of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and so on, and the gifts of the Spirit, these things that we're exploring together. Some people will argue, look, the fruit of the Spirit is much more important than the gifts of the Spirit, but I'm not entirely convinced that that is true. The weight of Scripture is not either or, but it's both and. And we are to pursue love. And we are to desire spiritual gifts, especially prophecy. So what is prophecy and what's its purpose? Well, let's read a few verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we get the answer before we'll then think a little bit about how this gift should be exercised in the life of a local church. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, their encouraging, and their comfort. For their strengthening, their encouraging, and their comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I'd like every single one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. So what's the purpose of this spiritual gift of prophecy? Well, it's the primary means. The primary means, not the only one, by which the local church can be, verse 3, strengthened, encouraged, and comforted. Strengthened, encouraged, and comforted. They sound like loving words and actions to me. Do they sound like that to you? Strengthened, encouraged, and comforted. Comforted. Let's try and speak. I'm not speaking in tongues there, just in case you're wondering. A prophecy is a means of loving the church and therefore loving God's people. In the opening verses of uh, chapter 14, Paul is comparing tongues with prophecy. We'll think more about tongues and their interpretation next weekend. But in summary, he says, look, tongues speak to God, but prophecy speak to people. Tongues will speak out the mysteries of God, but prophecy speaks out words that can be understood by both the person speaking and the people who are hearing. Tongues will build up the individual, but prophecy will build up the church, And you know, prophecy, genuine prophecy, authentic prophecy, has the power to bring about what it proclaims. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, when a true, authentic word of prophecy is given, and I'll say more about that in a moment, inherent within that is the dynamism of God's Spirit to make that thing that's been spoken out happen. Not because we've humanly declared that it's going to happen, but because actually that thing was within the will and the desire of God for that thing to happen or to be made known. Now, there's a really important distinction that we need to make. Prophecy is not fortune-telling. It is not fortune-telling. Biblical prophecy has nothing to do with those mystic meg types who hang out at the end of Brighton Pier. Stare into my crystal ball and you'll see your future. Biblical prophecy has got nothing to do with horoscopes. If you hear that you're going to meet a tall, dark, handsome stranger, well, good luck to you. That will not be of God. Horoscopes are not of God's. The word prophecy comes from the Greek word, which means to speak in front of or to declare openly. Perhaps the simplest definition of prophecy is this, is prophecy is speaking out a word from God. Prophecy is speaking out a word from God. Now, as you flick through the pages of Scripture, what you discover is that a prophet or someone who speaks prophecy always fulfilled that simple definition of prophecy, prophecy. Speaking out a word from God. It was always about God. It was never about them. It was always about signposting people to God. It was never about making themselves look good. In a sense, the prophets were simply God's earthly mouthpiece, and it was through them that the invisible God became audible. Well, that's a good line. i nicked nick that off someone else. The invisible God becomes audible through prophetic ministry. So in a sense, we can say this morning, look, prophecy is as simple as sharing in human words something that God spontaneously brings to the mind of a Christ follower with the purpose of, verse 3, strengthening, encouraging, and comforting another person. Well, let me share with you this morning uh, just one and only one of my life struggles. I have many, but this is one. I don't always find it easy hearing from God. I don't always find hearing from God straightforward or uncomplicated. Sometimes God struggles to get my attention. Ouch, confessions of a church minister. And it's not because God is poor at speaking, but it's because I'm poor at hearing. I'm poor at paying attention to God. That's the truth of the matter. Does anyone want to join my club this morning? Yeah, it's really not that exclusive. There's a lot of people in it. But, you know, here's the really good news. God's ability to speak is far greater than our ability to hear him. God's ability to speak is far greater than our ability to hear him. God speaks louder than my ability to hear, and prophecy is but one of the tools that God has in his toolbox to enable that to happen. You know, already this morning, I went for a walk very early, and God spoke to me through a very dramatic um, sunrise to get my attention, and in creation this morning, I encountered God, and he reminded me of how powerful he is and how great he is. He did that through a sunset. Already this week, through lots of different circumstances, with some stuff that we've been dealing with, God has been whispering through me, through, to me through my life circumstances. He gets my attention in the shout of a sunrise, but he gets my attention with the whisper of my life circumstances but too sometimes god grabs my attention with a prophetic word or with a picture somehow a word of prophecy or a picture that is shared with me can can tune me into the things of god when otherwise my spiritual radar can be pretty glitchy anyone else got a glitchy spiritual radar this morning you now, as you flick through the pages of the Bible, the Bible identifies directly 55 individuals who were prophets. Now, there would have been hundreds, potentially thousands, of prophets with a big P or a small P who aren't specifically listed. Now, none of these individuals were particularly renowned philosophers of their time. They weren't even people of any great genius. In fact, half the time, you get the sense that some of these biblical prophets didn't even understand the message that they were speaking out especially those messages that were being spoken for future generations, but they spoke them or they recorded them anyway. As you look through the Old Testament, at some of the Old Testament capital pre-P prophets, they were more than just a bit weird, weren't they? Some of them were proper quirky. Some of them were quite disturbing individuals. As we read about them, they mostly come across as being really stern preachers of doom and gloom. But what's significant about every single one of them is that that prophetic office was not given to them because of their training or because of their skill. It was given to them as a gift from God. Not one of them applied for their jobs. We have prophets like Samuel and Jeremiah who heard God's call when they were very young children or young men, and then you have people like Amos and Isaiah, Hosea, Zechariah, who find themselves called as as adults to speak out God's message to kings and civil and religious leaders, and especially, importantly, to God's chosen people, Israel. Then there are women like Miriam and, and Deborah and Esther. Now, most of these prophets didn't win many friends. In fact, being a prophet, a capital P prophet in the Old Testament days was a pretty lonely occupation. Nine times out of ten, their message was, oh Israel, would you please return to the Lord or else? Now, because of what most of them said, most of the prophets in Scripture were, were persecuted or they're killed. And just for some added pressure, those who got the message wrong were, were stoned to death. Anyone fancy applying? But here's the good news. On the day of Pentecost, with the coming of God's Spirit in a new way, God radically redefined who could exercise this prophetic ministry. Up until the day of Pentecost, God's Spirit only fell on particular people at particular times for a particular task. Or in the case of the Old Testament prophets, we might want to say they fell on God's Spirit fell on peculiar people at peculiar times for a peculiar task. But then with the coming of Pentecost in a new way, ordinary men and women, ordinary men and women ceased to be strangers to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. The role of the prophet wasn't just for the particular or for the peculiar minority, but in varying degrees this ministry became a ministry for everyone who would call themselves and genuinely was a follower of Jesus. Now, all of that, of course, is a fulfilling of the the prophet Joel's prophetic words spoken out decades before the coming of Christ. I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Since the days of Pentecost, unlike the Old Testament, rarely is a, prophet a prophecy shared where someone's standing at the front of a congregation, kind of shaking their finger, quoting the language of the old King James Bible, thus saith the Lord. As I shared with us last weekend, if you ever receive a thus saith the word or God has told me kind of a message, it needs to be weighed very seriously. You know, some of the most wonderful prophecies that have ever been spoken into my life or I've heard spoken into the lives of other people have been spoken quietly. They've been spoken gently. And then there's been this kind of stirring in the heart of the other person or myself which begins to validate that the words might just be of God. In fact, I would suggest this morning that humility is a prerequisite of prophecy, Prophetic words don't have greater strength just because someone's shouting them at you in the language of the Old Testament, uh, uh, sorry, in the language of the Old King James Version of the Bible. Now, hear this this morning because this might be the most important thing I've said. The primary way that God speaks to us is through His Word. The primary way God speaks to us is through His Word. Prophecy is in no way a substitute for God's Word in no way. But sometimes a Bible passage can't always help us make a decision between equally valid options. And then sometimes that's where a prophetic ministry has its place, doesn't it? But we can say categorically, if a prophetic word conflicts with God's word or scripture, then it is not of God. It's not prophetic, it's pathetic. It's the last time I used that joke. God primarily speaks to us through his word, but sometimes he grabs our attention through this prophetic ministry. So where in Scripture do we see a good example of this prophetic gifting being exercised? Well, I want us to look no further in in a way at the person of Jesus. He had this very obvious prophetic gift, but then he would because he was the son of God. But if you imagine or or picture him when he stood at Jacob's well in John chapter 4, he's speaking to the woman who was there and he reads her like a book, doesn't he? He pointed at her lifestyle and he spoke prophetically into her life and she responds by saying to Jesus, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Well, if you know the story, she uh, realized that there was no way that Jesus could have known about her marital situation. She'd been divorced five times and was now living with someone she wasn't married to. There was no way Jesus could have known that in the natural realm. But as Jesus spoke this word into her life, she began to see and believe that life could be different, and it brought change and it brought transformation, not only into her life, but also into the lives of others that she shared the story with. There was fruit. There was fruit from this encounter. But the most important thing I see in this story is that Jesus engages with this woman with love and with compassion as his driving motivation. That was his agenda, to love another human being and to show compassion towards them. God's ability to speak is greater than my ability to hear, and sometimes he'll use the prophetic to grab my attention. That's what happens here in John chapter 4. But we need to be really clear in saying this morning that not all prophecy comes from God. Now, that creates a problem, as you read through the Old Testament, you'll discover that God's children were often being told off, weren't they, for following false prophets who were claiming to be speaking on behalf of God. But there are even examples of false prophecy in the New Testament. Some of us will know the story of the slave girl that Luke spoke of in Acts chapter 16. This is what it says. It says, now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with the spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit. There you go. There's the motivation for that sharing. It was bringing much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. But Paul, who was greatly annoyed, I'd love to see Paul greatly annoyed, wouldn't you? I wonder what that looks like. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned to the spirit and said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. Now, what you notice from this story is that she was, very, she was actually very accurate in her fortune telling. She was telling the truth about Paul, but she was still a false prophet because the root of her gift was not of God, but it was of this spirit of divination. The motivation for her words were financial gain. They weren't, as verse 3 says in those words we read, about strengthening, encouraging, and comforting another person. Prophecy is a genuine God-given gift, but we have to discern it for all of these reasons. Paul says to us in Scripture in 1 Thessalonians, Do not despise prophecies, but test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Keep hold of that which is good, but chuck in the bin that which is rubbish is essentially the Chris Brockway translation of what Paul is saying. But there's another reason beyond the the simple fact that some prophecies are counterfeit, which means we should test prophecies that are given. Paul says to the church in Corinth in those verses we heard last weekend in chapter 13, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. Paul is saying there, look, prophecy is to be highly valued, and yet it will often be, in fact, it will nearly always be, administered imperfectly because it's broken, sinful human beings who God is using to speak out these prophetic words. Therefore, when you hear a prophecy, it's going to be in part. No one knows it all. No uh, prophecy is ever going to have it 100% right all of the time. And it's for that reason that Paul is so keen to say to the church, would you test and you weigh every single prophecy for your protection? Well, Paul gives some great practical advice regarding prophecy, particularly prophecy that's spoken out in public uh, at the end of uh, chapter 14. Let's read that together. Verse 26 says, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Verse 29, we'll come back to verse 27 next week. Two or three prophets should speak, and the others should weigh carefully what is being said. And if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should stop. For you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged. The spirits of prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people." So as I finish, I want to finish with a summary statement, in a sense, about how we should give and how we should receive these prophetic words, or perhaps it might be better and safer in some ways to call them, as per verse 3, words of encouragement or words of strengthening and words of comfort. Why do I say that? Because sometimes if somebody comes to me and says, I've got a prophetic word to you, it's almost got this kind of weight to it, which sometimes can be unhelpful. How much better to say I've got a word of encouragement, or I've got a word that I hope God will use to strengthen you, or I'm going to speak some words to you that I sense might be from God, and I just really hope today that they will bring you comfort. Paul's point is there should be good order, and there should be some weighing, and there should be some balancing and testing of prophetic words. And when we can do that, it mitigates against some of the errors of the fact that people speak in part, and sometimes there are false prophets. And the first and perhaps the most important part of the weighing of prophetic ministry actually begins with the person who feels they might have a word from God to share with another person, who we might call the operator or the minister minister of the gifts, the person who feels God's given them a word to share You see, from the very beginning of this journey of prophetic ministry, the greatest and the biggest responsibility sits with the person who's going to share what they sense God has given them. They have to think very carefully about what they're going to say. They have to think very carefully about how they say it, and they should think very carefully about whether they should say it at all. The first responsibility is with the person sharing a word. And it seems to me that's so incredibly important, because when somebody just thinks, oh, I'll have a quick go at this, we'll see what happens, or it might just be, I think God might be speaking to me, but they're not carefully thinking about it, when they share that with another person, it immediately puts that other person in what I've called spiritual deficit. It's put them on the back foot, it's put them into the negative, as you can see on the weighing scales there, before they've even heard the word that God might have for them if you sense God has given you a prophetic word to encourage or to comfort or to strengthen another person, the first question is, does this contradict what Scripture says? If it does, it is simply not of God. The second thing we need to consider is, God, is God giving me this, this message personally, or is he giving me this message to share with others? And if it is for others, should I be sharing it privately with them, one-to-one? Is it just a point for prayer, or should I be sharing this message publicly? And then Paul tells us how we should share these messages publicly. You know, exposing people's problems publicly through a prophetic word is never the intention of giving the word, ever. It's never to humiliate another person. It's for encouraging, for strengthening, for comforting the church. And this is the most important stage of the weighing and the testing process. I shared last weekend if, when you were with us that somebody shared a, a prophetic word with me about becoming a head teacher. The minute that word was shared, I was sent into the deficit because I don't sense that the person who received that word tested it and weighed it and heard properly. If we get this stage wrong, we're at great risk of setting others up to fail. And actually, this is where the great problem is, I think, in the church today. Too often, prophetic words are shared as prophetic words when they've not been properly tested, weighed, or balanced against Scripture. It's incredibly dangerous. It's no wonder that some people end up becoming suspicious of this kind of a ministry. So the first responsibility sits with the person sharing the word. But then there's a second judge or a second uh, weighing up, I guess, and that happens in the life of the person receiving the ministry that somebody else is offering. And you know, it really doesn't matter who a word of prophecy originates with. It could be me. It could be one of the elders. It could be the general secretary of the Baptist Union. It could be the Archbishop of Canterbury, the Pope, the Queen of England. I don't care If somebody else shares a word with you, you do not have to accept it if it doesn't feel right, regardless of who they are, even her majesty. You see, at the end of the day, God does hold me responsible if I'm foolish in not weighing and testing a prophetic word that might be shared with me. Remember those words from 1 Thessalonians 5, do not despise prophecy, but test all things, hold fast to that which is good. Keep hold of that which is good but ditch that which is rubbish or might even be exaggeration. And then the process is the same for us. If someone shares a word with us, is this biblical? Is it scriptural? Does it conflict with scripture? If the answer is it does conflict with scripture, then put it in the bin straight away. But there's another question for us, I think, for those of us who might be receiving this ministry from somebody else. I always ask this question, does it confirm what I've already been thinking? You know, my experience of this kind of a ministry is God will often use someone else to speak into my life over an issue that I've already been wrestling with and thinking about. It's very, very rare that someone comes with a bolt out of the blue and says to me, Chris, I sense that God is calling you to to South America to become a missionary. What? Really? I thought I was called to Christchurch. But it might just be that somebody comes to me and says, Chris, I really sense God is calling you to do X, Y, or Z." in Christ's church. I wonder if you'd wrestle with that and think about that before God. And then there's this question of condemnation versus conviction. Even if a prophetic word is a word of rebuke, and they, they're quite rare, it seems to me, but even if there is that word of rebuke, then the Holy Spirit never, ever destroys hope in your life. Never. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if we feel condemned as opposed to convicted, then that word is not from God. And then finally and thirdly, Uh, there's this responsibility of spiritual leadership. So we heard Paul say in those closing verses of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, look, when a, a prophetic word is shared publicly, then there's a responsibility of the leadership of churches to weigh and to test. In fact, scripture says in Acts chapter 20 that church leaders bear an additional responsibility about all this stuff. No pressure then. But whenever someone shares a a prophetic word or picture publicly, I'm asking the same questions. Is this biblical? Is this scriptural? Does this ring true? If it doesn't, we're not going to hear it. Does this message gather people around Jesus and glorify him, or does it push people away from Jesus? If it's pushing them away, it's clearly not of God. Does this word bring release, or does it just bring further burden and bondage to a person's life? And then, of course, there's the question of does this person have a track record for accuracy in these things? And anyway, are they currently in good moral standing with God? Do you know, prophecy is really exciting. It's an amazing ministry in the life of a church, but it can be really dangerous when we get it wrong. Really dangerous. So how do we discern between the true and the false, between that which is authentic and that which is potentially counterfeit, that which is being done in love versus that which actually was about glorifying myself by making myself look really spiritual? I want to give you four bullet point criteria to test prophecy and small p, prophets. And the first is the truth test. Does this sound word conflict with Scripture? said that a lot, I'm sorry, but it's the truth test. You see, if this word is true and it's scriptural, the dial on my weighing scale starts heading in that direction, in a clockwise direction. And then there's a second test, which is the love test. Verse 3, is this word encouraging, strengthening, and comforting to me? Is the word even being shared with a sense of love and, and a desire for me to flourish in my walk with Jesus? Well, if the answer is yes, then just maybe my dial moves a bit further around uh, those weighing scales, a bit further around the red and towards the green. And then thirdly, there's the order test. Has the other person brought this word in a way that Scripture says it should be brought? If the answer is yes, the dial goes further around, potentially into the green, Here's a word that I need to listen to. Here's a word that I need to further wrestle with. Just maybe God has spoken a prophetic word into my life. And then finally, there's the fruit test. Now, the problem with the fruit test is you can only tell this with hindsight and later on. But if anyone ever speaks a word, a prophetic word, or a picture into your life, there ought to be some fruit from that sharing. There really ought to be fruit, even if it's over time. If you're loving, you'll become more loving. If you had joy, you'll have even more joy. If you're a person of peace, you'll know even more peace, and so on. You ought to be able to trace a word and its fruit. And can you see how helpful these four tests are? That actually, if we bring all four of these tests, and maybe there are more, into our thinking and our discerning, then we move out of the red and we move into the green. And the green is the safe zone for saying, I've wrestled with this, God, and I I really have a sense that you might be speaking to me. Do you know, I think we have a challenge as a local church, and it's this. I think COVID and lockdown has dented our confidence. Just really sense this morning that God would stir amongst us and say, desire these gifts. Don't despise them, desire them. Let's earnestly pursue them. Let's be hungry for them. Because when that happens, God is glorified and his church is built. And the good news of Jesus becomes even more known. And we end up with loads more brothers and sisters in Christ. What a great thing. I want to invite our musicians to come and join us. Can we be still for just a few moments? I encourage you as well, if you you have an interpretation of that tongue, to come and share that with Christine or with Kay as we sing. I'm going to sing a song that just invites us to be still in the presence of the Lord. We're going to remain seated as we sing. And then we're going to spend just a moment inviting God to reactivate, in some of our cases, the gifts that he's already given but just maybe this morning we're ready to receive from God a gift that he might like to give to us for the first time so that we can bless, encourage, strengthen and comfort the body of Christ. Let's be still together.
1: of the Lord.